It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Wow, get ready for a big show, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. We got a little bit of an echo there. I apologize. one 408 7669 Kyle Smith's going to be with us shortly. He's a great columnist from the National Review, critic at large, and fellow at the National Review Institute. He wrote a great piece, fantastic piece, based on fact. What if Joe Biden were a Republican? What questions would he be asked, judging by his 47 years in the Senate, which nobody talks about, and very few even talk about his years as vice president when he had some pretty big things in his folder, like, for example, Ukraine and the stimulus package. That was his charge, to take the $800 billion and hand it out. We'll talk about that, including some of his friendships in Congress that are in Senate that are somewhat dicey. Then we're going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He's got a great program out there to give veterans and minorities support, financial support and otherwise, and advice if they want to get into politics. And they got countless numbers of people in their portfolio now, like Burgess Owens, like Derek Van Orden like Sean Parnell, all running for key seats, all coming out of the military, many of which are minority. And uh, he is going to talk about that as well as uh, keeping Texas red because he's in charge of the Texas GOP. We'll talk about all that and more. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We may well have a doubling of world poverty by next year. We may well have at least a doubling of child malnutrition. This is a terrible, ghastly global uh, catastrophe, actually. We really do appeal to all world leaders. Stop using lockdown as your primary control method. Really? WHO David Nabarro, a doctor, telling us... Well, after the WHO told us to lock down, we had no choice. Stop the spread. Now he says lockdowns don't work. This, according to the organization that demanded we do that, says the most vulnerable pay the greatest price. No kidding. As the U.S. looks at a COVID lockdown bill of $16 trillion and counting. Number two. I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? Yeah, the Mormon. Mitt Romney? 2020. The president back and more entertaining, more vigorous, and more determined than ever as he motivates a huge crowd in central Florida yesterday. Meanwhile, Joe Biden attracts a few, and most stayed in their cars. That was the drive-in format. Stumbling badly on the stump while people chanted four more years for Donald Trump in the background. How is that guy winning? Number one, they are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. They are deliberately defying the will of the people in their attempt to roll back the rights and protections provided under the Affordable Care Act. Kamala Harris, Amy Coney Barrett takes the heat. By the way, we're watching these. Uh, hearing start right now. We'll bring you the action as it unfolds and look back at the Monday Democratic line of attack, health care, health care and health care. By the way, you can get our show anytime, BrianKillmeatShow.com. Go to iTunes, iHeart, or Radio.com to listen live if you leave your local affiliate. So I'm not going to take too much time. I don't want to take too much time away from Kyle. I'll take even more at the last quarter hour of this show. 
But just to give you an idea of the line of questioning yesterday, it really is very simple. They are trying to get at Donald Trump, say how unfair it is that he was able to nominate someone and bring it up at the fact that she could be the one who decides if this thing is close on November 3rd, she could have a deciding vote on who the next president is. And they want her to recuse herself. They want her to recuse herself because President Trump, who appointed her, said in the past, I'm putting putting in judges that are going to overturn Obamacare. We have to remember how unpopular Obamacare was until the Republicans foolishly came up with no alternative. But the fact is, when you have big poster boards of families, sadly, that are going through tough times and because they could lose their health care and go through tougher times and blame Amy Coney Barrett, somebody who's going to get a case November 11th if she's on the court, at which time they're going to say, hey, can Obamacare still be a plan without the personal mandate that mandates you carry the health care, all right? Like you do car insurance, you can't really have a car. If you drive around in insurance, it's illegal. They want to do the same thing with health. The president overturned that. Then they brought it back up and they said, hey, is this still a plan? Is it constitutional? And the word is, the, the, the legal word is severability. Can you sever certain things out of something that's constitutional and it still be constitutional? And legal experts like uh, have been looking at Kavanaugh, and they say Kavanaugh in particular is all for severability. Cut it off, but it still works. Here's Jonathan Turley on what he saw. Cut 11. These were very touching stories. These were moving stories, and they're a good argument for national health care. But they're not relevant to this nominee because the case that they're talking about is very unlikely to result in the entire act being struck down. Two, at least two of the conservative justices are expected to vote in favor of preserving the rest of the act. And meanwhile, Jonathan Turley also weighed in on what she's going to say today. They're going to come up and say, are you going to overturn Obamacare? Are you going to overturn Roe v. Wade? Are you going to uh, make sure the Second Amendment, uh, there's no assault ban? Whatever controversial decision that could be coming across her desk for the rest of her life, how are you going to rule? And in turn, they're going to use the Ginsburg rule, which is essentially... I am not going to tell you about cases I haven't seen yet. Cut 13. And I should also say something else that concerned me, and that is what they were suggesting was that they would be voting against her because of what they expected her vote would be in a pending case. And that is a conditional confirmation. That's a confirmation based on a single pending case, which is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, took a stand against. In fact, there's a thing called the Ginsburg rule where she refused to talk about her vote on any future case. But here the senators seem to be saying, I'm not even going to listen. I'm going to vote against you in the case of Senator Booker because I don't think you're going to vote the right way on a case right. on November 10th. So that's what's at stake today. What it really is, after Merrick Garland, they did not have the majority in the Senate. They didn't put a vote. They just held it out. Merrick Garland would have been a fine nominee. And if they put him out there for questioning, there would be no reason not to pass him like they did Kagan, Sotomayor, uh, like they all do in the past. So what Mitch McConnell did is not put him forward. Said, listen, you got nine months left in your second term. President says we're not putting him forward. When you have 60 days left in uh, President Trump's first term, 
they say we're putting them forward, and they say hypocrites. Yeah, you have a case. But at the same time, you don't have the majority in the Senate. That's just the fact. Democrats would do the same exact thing. In response, Chuck, people like Chuck Schumer are just beside themselves. They are threatening, and I think with valid reason, to pack the court. Now, FDR said seven extra justices. I'm going to put that in in 1937 and make sure my New Deal programs gets passed. After all, I just got another term, and I'm trying to save the country and win a war that we're about to get into. Chuck Schumer says, yeah, now with these type circumstances, I'm going to think about doing that. Cut 17. We would certainly be in the constitutional right to do it. Uh, let me say this. You, you know, the Republicans are always looking for a smokescreen. They don't want America to know that this justice would take away their health care. They don't want the America to know that this justice would repeal Roe v. Wade, even though 71 percent of Americans are against it. They don't want to know that this justice could turn the court into something that would get rid of all labor unions, uh, make America right to work state following the Janus decision. So they come up with smoke screens. No, there's not smoke screens. You said it. Cut 18. As for ourselves, what I've said is we're going to win the election, God willing. Uh, President, maybe hopefully take back the Senate. It's not an easy fight, but we're doing well. And then everything will be on the table. That's all. But we're not going to fall into the trap of debating that now after what they've done and when there are so many substantive issues at stake that the American people care about, health care above all. Look. That is a political ploy. The political ploy is what you're going to do is get rid of the filibuster. You said it. Number two is you're going to do is you're going to add seats to the Supreme Court. You've already said it. You haven't guaranteed it, but you said it. You're the ones who brought it up. We wouldn't even had that in the conversation. That might be something rumored behind closed doors that might pop up in Politico's playbook or Axios. The rumor is they're thinking about doing this. But instead, they said it. They started it. And now that they won't answer it. Joe Biden didn't. I don't want to take too much time. I want to give uh, uh, Kyle Smith, you're going to love what he has to say about Joe Biden's past and the questions he would be asked. But Joe Biden got close to answering the question yesterday, which by all accounts was a terrible appearance. This is what would have happened if Donald Trump just let him speak because he can't speak. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's the fact. This guy is not ready to be president. He didn't know Mitt Romney's name. He said he was running for U.S. Senate. And then when asked about court packing, first he said we didn't deserve to know. It's not our right to know, he said on Sunday. And then this, cut 15. Court packing is going on now. Never before, when an election has already begun and millions of votes already cast, has it ever been that a Supreme Court nominee was put forward. Had never happened before. I've already spoken on, I, I'm not a fan of pack, uh, court packing, but I'm not, I don't want to get off on that whole issue. I want to keep focused. They'd not, the president will love nothing better than to fight about whether or not I would, in fact, pack the court or not pack the court, et cetera. The focus is why is he doing what he's doing now? He's a terrible talking points memorizer. He's using the same exact term that Schumer used, that Chris Coons used, smokescreen, trying to get us off the topic. That's what the president wants. No, you started it. You just said I'm not a fan of it. Good thing, because in 2005, you said it. And in uh, 1983, you mocked the idea of doing it. You called it boneheaded. So when we come back, Kyle Smith. Why is Joe Biden getting a pass? This is so egregious. I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. John Kerry got tough questions. Al Gore got tough questions. Barack Obama got tough questions. They won because and they lost because of their answers. 
The non-answers is this new tactic, which I don't think the American people should tolerate. So we're going to find out the real questions he should be asked with Kyle Smith, then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Don't move. Big hour. We're also watching live events uh, on the court as uh, Judge Barrett tries to become the next Supreme Court justice. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. Uh, That was Joe Biden in 1983. Kind of no one brings it up. We always do at Fox and on this show that he was against court packing, a bonehead idea. He said it again in 2005, but no one's going to question him on this, and I don't understand why. Kyle Smith's with the National Review, critic at large and fellow at the National Review Institute. One of his other great columns just came across on Sunday, and I wanted to see if we can get him on, and he has kindly agreed to come on. What if Joe Biden were a Republican? What kind of questions would he be asked? Kyle, how frustrated have you begin, have been, if at all, watching Joe Biden get the softball treatment. It's really amazing because there's so much stuff that the press kind of hurls at Donald Trump that it's either not true or there's only a very small grain of truth to it. Whereas with Biden, some of the stuff is like way out in the open. He's just absolutely shameless about it. For instance, the media lost its mind for 48 hours over a uh, slightly awkwardly worded statement about white supremacists and whether Trump would support them. And they spun that into a tale of Trump supposedly is palsy-wellsy with white supremacists. Well, Joe Biden, way out in the open, is saying some of these guys are, are good friends of his, like uh, like John Stennis and James Eastland, deep South senators. Uh, he said Strom Thurmond was one of his very closest friends. And a lot of the stuff wasn't that long ago. I mean, what would happen? What kind of headlines would we see in the New York Times if it turned out Donald Trump had given the eulogy at the funeral of a recruiter for the Ku Klux Klan? Well, Joe Biden did that, and it wasn't that long ago. It was in 2010 that he gave the eulogy for Robert Byrd, a longtime senator, and before that, a Klansman. 
Joe Biden has a long record of supporting all these segregationists and white supremacists and people who said, you know, those who would mix little children of both races in our schools are following an illegal, immoral and sinful doctrine, uh, which is something uh, John Stennis once said. Uh, you know, Biden said, I am good friends with all these people. And he continued to say it for many years. He basically didn't stop saying it until just last year when the press started saying it's a little unusual. So, you it's know, a obviously a different time that we can't even relate to was so long ago, but we can relate to it because we studied it in social studies or history class, but no one even brings that up outside, believe it or not, Kamala Harris at the first debate. Right, exactly. And uh, I mean, she basically said he was a racist and also basically said she agreed with uh, an accuser who said that in effect he had raped her. And no one calls Kamala Harris on this anymore. No one uh, brings up that Barack Obama once said of Biden, uh, don't underestimate Joe's ability to follow things up. He didn't say follow. Uh, he also said, you know, who really doesn't have it, Joe Biden. This is Barack Obama speaking of Joe Biden uh, in, in uh quotes that were uh, so all you have to do with Kyle Smith Kyle if you had uh, Joe Biden you'd say hey uh, Mr. Vice President President Obama said of you don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up if that if that person you work with most closely considers you a foul up why should the American people entrust you with the highest petition position in the Republic that's not bad for a moderator to ask by the way yeah, and moderators instead, they either ask them open-ended questions like, what would you do about climate change, which is you know just teeing up a policy uh, regurgitation, or there's a lot of uh, – whenever Biden gives these very limited press availabilities, it's always uh, – they bring up some uh, alleged outrage of Trump, and they ask him about that, which is basically saying, you know, don't you agree with us in hating Trump? Um, but you know, stuff like corruption, Biden's a long record of – uh, family members exploiting the Biden name to make money. Uh, have we forgotten that Hunter Biden had an $83,000 a month job uh, with a Ukrainian energy company, despite having no energy expertise whatsoever? They clearly paid him for access to the Biden name. Uh, and also Jimmy Biden, a name you never even hear, uh, Joe Biden's older brother. No one ever mentions this person. Um, and yet he clearly has been profiting off the Biden name. There's a, uh, when Biden was vice president, there's a $1.5 billion contract to build housing in Iraq that just coincidentally went to Jimmy Biden's construction company that had just been formed. And Jimmy Biden had, of course, no construction experience whatsoever. And when you talk about China, you talk about what Hunter did with China. And you list this in your story that, you know, in 2013, you took your son Hunter with you on Air Force Two to China, where he was introduced to a businessman named Jonathan Lee. Lee's lie, excuse me, company later gave Hunter 10 percent stake in an investment fund that now manages two billion dollars. Make him explain that. Don't say, well, I, my son does his own thing. Don't you think at the very least your optics are terrible? And quote, was leveraging access for his benefit was just wasn't done in the White House. Optics really mattered. How would you allow this to happen? If you put if you question him like that, then if you especially even in a debate, Trump would sit there and wait for that answer. And believe me, he- out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You would not interrupt that answer. 
Yeah, the press just doesn't care about, uh, you know, this is all the stuff we know about, by the way, and the press isn't digging in any farther. They're not, you know, allocating resources to find out exactly how much corruption there is in the Biden family. This is all just totally routine. Everybody knew about it. Um, there's another instance with a, um, a, a Chinese billionaire who, who gave Hunter a very large diamond and went in on him with a natural gas uh project in Louisiana. And that, that guy's deputy is actually now in jail now on a charge of, because he bribed government officials and was arrested in New York. Um, it, it, corruption all over the map, map with, these, with these people and, and abuse of power. I love this. And, Barack Obama's personal physician said for many years, he is, quote, he is not a healthy guy. On day one of your presidency, you'll be 13 years past retirement. How do you expect America to feel about that? So, I mean, this is by using the facts these are questions that he is not prepared to answer. You got to look up Kyle Smith's work. He does the research and puts it out there. Very intriguing. Kyle, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Hopefully someone will ask those questions. Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is next. You see what I'm talking about? Unexplored candidate. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jesse and I had a very brief amount of time to make a decision with momentous consequences for our family. We knew that our lives would be combed over for any negative detail. We knew that our faith would be caricatured. We knew our family would be attacked. And so we had to decide whether those difficulties would be worth it, because what sane person would go through that if there wasn't a benefit on the other side? And the benefit, I think, is that I'm committed to the rule of law and the role of the Supreme Court in dispensing equal justice for all. And I'm not the only person who could do this job, but I was asked, and it would be difficult for anyone. So why should I say someone else should do the difficulty if the difficulty is the only reason to say no, I should serve my country? And my family's all in on that because they share my belief in the rule of law. Uh, that is, uh, that is uh, Judge Barrett uh, answering the first questions from Senator Lindsey Graham, who is the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Now, the ranking member, uh, Senator Feinstein, started off with some very nice comments coming out and saying, look at your family. Can you introduce them? Isn't it great? What's your formula? And now the first question is, you said uh, you back up Justice Scalia when he said that uh, uh, Roe v. Wade was a, essentially a wrong decision. Uh, what do you think about it now? And she says, I'm not going to answer that question, almost like, uh, the same thing as now Supreme Court Justice Kagan did. I'm not going to talk about any of those decisions they have written about in the past. So Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is here, and the gymnastics begins right away. Colonel West, he's chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Group, former congressman of Florida. And you know, too, he's also got another group that he heads up that he wants to talk about. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, and it was great seeing you early this morning on uh, Fox and Friends. Yeah, you're a busy guy. Tell us about your program that's getting such momentum now. Well, it's called The Guardian Fund, and uh, I named it after the first book that I wrote, The Guardian of the Republic. And we started that back in 2012. And what it, it focused on is getting uh, recruiting and, and getting military and also minority conservatives elected to the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. And from 2012 to through the 2018 cycle, we had endorsed 105 candidates, and we had 77 that have been uh, victorious. 
victorious and are, you know, serving the country. And in this election cycle, we have 55. It's our largest uh, class of endorsees from the Guardian PAC that are going to be looking at winning races all across the country for the United States House of Representatives. Including Derek Van Orden, Sean Parnell, and Burgess Owens, right? Absolutely. Some stellar people. I, I could not be prouder of the game that we have uh, going forward in this uh, election cycle of 2020. And it, it really is the reason why I started it back in 2012. I did not want to see, you know, military and minority conservatives not be able to go out and find support uh, so that they could, you know, aspire to be you know, members of the United States Congress. So what do you think about Cal Cunningham? He's the uh, the Senate candidate in North Carolina, winning by about three points before the sex scandal broke. Now, he's still in the military, an officer, and now you have a series of texts emerge where he admitted to having multiple, possibly multiple affairs. Do you think that should play a role? And does that is that a problem with the military higher-ups, too? Well, I think that, again, that, that goes back to honor, integrity, and character. He has to be able to make that decision, you know, himself as far as whether or not he's going to continue on in this race. Oh, he's staying. But it definitely yeah, well, it definitely doesn't reflect very good on its character for that. And look, the people of North Carolina are going to make that decision. Is that the type of person that they want to have to go up there and represent them in the Senate? Is that the type of person that they believe reflects their principles and values? And so that's why we do have the electoral process. If he stays in, uh, he will you know, suffer the consequences, good or bad. Uh, I also understand going back to Texas for a second. It looks like Texas school districts are ending remote learning. They say between 40 and 70 percent of students are failing. Yes, it's, it's absolutely horrible what is happening okay. here in Texas is that their the, their learning curve is, is going in the wrong direction. I mean, think about it. These kids have not been in uh, in schools for going on about five or six months. And so this morning, after our interview on Fox and Friends, I went for my you know morning four-mile run, and it was just so good to see school buses out and, and getting kids and taking them back in so that they can be together, they can get back to the business of learning uh, and hopefully not be and indoctrinated, but learning, and so we can get them back on the right path and the right uh, trajectory. Yeah, and by, by the way, the kids want to go back. Uh, for the first yeah, time in my do. lifetime, it used to be fun to say kids don't want to go to school, they can't wait for summer. I actually think it's the opposite now. Well, they're social animals. They, they really are, and they want to be with their friends, and that's another thing that we have seen out here in Texas is an, an increase of the level of depression and despondency among kids because they want to get out with their friends and, and, and socialize and be in that you know, learning environment with their friends and not just be isolated sitting in front of a computer. That, that's not how you learn as a, as a young child. Yeah, so it, there's a lot going on to, with, the, with Texas in particular. Uh, we saw Beto O'Rourke at $36 million for his Senate run, which failed, but he got close. Mm-hmm. And now we see $57 million flood in to the opponent of Senator Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, where he does not even show that he's a Democrat. He says he's a moderate, which there's no indication he's a moderate yeah. in South Carolina. Where's this money coming from? It's unthinkable. Well, we- 
Well, we all know where it's coming from. It's coming from those, you know, cultural and entertainment, Hollywood elites, sports elites. You know, right now we have this campaign coming out of Hollywood, and they're saying send $38 to help us get 38 electoral votes out of Texas. That's not going to be successful. Between Michael Bloomberg and money that's been raised by Eric Holder and also Barack Obama, we have tens of millions of dollars that are flowing into Texas to try to flip Texas. You know what is really uh, encouraging? Encouraging is that now all of a sudden the Democrats are spending money in South Texas along the Rio Grande border, uh, Valley uh, border because they see that they're losing in what was normally a very uh, blue area. But their messaging on supporting the rule of the mob, their messaging against being uh, you know, against law and order and not supporting police and putting the safety and security of individuals at, at risk is really working against them. The city of Austin, the capital of Austin, defunded the police 150 million dollars and they've seen a 63 percent increase in violent crime in austin texas so these things are working against the left the, the democrats and i don't care how much money you throw at it uh, the quality of our message the quality of our candidates will win the day so Liz, what, what bothers me most is whatever you want to say about al gore whatever you want to say about john Kerry, whatever you want to say about uh, uh john mccain these are people that lost the election no one has thought they weren't up for the challenge we just made, the american people made a different choice but with Joe Biden, he's not getting any questions, and his gaffes are not seen anywhere. Now, listen to him yesterday in front of almost no crowd. In fact, just people in cars. That There's no pressure on this guy. Cut 27. You may remember I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? And I took him on. Anybody, no one's face to be questioned. He forgot Mitt Romney's name. Yeah. And, and I don't think he took him on. I think that uh, Mitt Romney was running against Barack Obama, and you know it would have been better him talking about uh, Paul Ryan. But again, there are so many of those gas, and and he supposedly is going to show up in Houston, Texas today, which is ground zero for a lot of the uh, ballot harvesting issues. The county clerk down in Houston has been slapped down several times by the Texas State Supreme Court, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, for this mail-in balloting scheme, and now. Uh, he's trying to have curbside voting in Harris County, which happens to be the largest county in the state of Texas. So uh, I think Joe Biden is showing up to try to make sure that they can, uh, you know, put their plans together to to try to take this election here in Texas. They're not going to be successful. There's no there's no quit in America. There's none in America. We can do anything that we need to do if we can do it together. Nothing can stop us. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Come on, Colonel, please. (laughs) I'm somebody that loses words sometimes, forgets a name, but not Mitt Romney or what I'm doing. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is senior abuse, what they're putting him through. I'm being very honest. Uh, Here is someone that is not up to this task, and I think the American people know that. And last week we saw in the vice presidential debate that Kamala Harris is not up to the task. She had no command of the issues whatsoever. So I don't know what this Democrat Party ticket thinks they're going to be able to do or accomplish, but they are really showing themselves to be Mm -hmm. incapable, uh, inept, uh, incompetent, and unworthy of being in the office of president and vice president. So this Biden-Harris ticket is, to to me, very, very, very weak. 
Well, the other thing is they're winning. Uh, at least uh, betters are saying they're 91% chance of winning. And Wall Street's saying that they're starting to invest in starting to invest in uh, renewable stocks because they believe that it's going to be a Biden presidency. Uh, I mean, w- what are you hearing? Well, what I hear is here on the ground, you, you see these uh, these Trump uh, parades. I was in Nacogdoches over in East Texas. There were 150, 200 cars. When you're looking at down Laredo, Texas, which, again, is in the Rio Grande Valley, and you have 5,000 cars and trucks on the Trump train, you saw what happened in Miami with that Trump parade there, the boat parade. Uh, there's an enthusiasm. Now, I don't think the polls are seeing this enthusiasm. They're not reflected that enthusiasm. And I continue to tell people the most important poll out there is gun sales. No one is going out and purchasing a firearm so that they can vote for the party that says they're going to take them away. And the number one demographic that we are seeing here in Texas purchasing firearms are suburban white women, and they're also taking concealed carry license classes. And they're not going to go and give their handgun away to Robert Francis O'Rourke. Yeah, but the problem is uh, those suburban white women seem to be coming, leaving the Trump camp, at least according to the stats. Lastly, you were stationed in South Korea when you were in the Army. Uh, Kim Jong-un had a military parade at which time he unveiled something called a monster missile. They say it's going to be, they say, North Korea say, capable of overwhelming U.S. defense systems. Is it hollow? Do you know anything about it? Have you had a chance to look at it? No, I have not uh, had a chance to look at it, and I would say once again that's a hollow threat. That's a veiled threat. That's Kim Jong-un trying to rattle the sabers. You know, his dad used to do the exact same thing when we were over there uh, to try to extort money and financial aid uh, to, to help prop up their regime there, that Stalinist regime. I don't think it's going to work with President Trump. And, and again, it's very interesting that he would try to wheel this out just days, well, three weeks before this election. But our foreign policy under the Trump administration is not one of weakness, is not one of strategic patience, which we saw with the Obama-Biden administration. So I think we're in good shape. All right, Colonel, we're out. Uh, Texas GOP Chair, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Thanks, Colonel. Always a pleasure. You take care, Brian. All right. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 408 7669 We are watching, too, Diane Feinstein, Senator from California. Have her probably 10 minutes left speaking with Senate Judiciary Committee. She's the ranking member, and she's speaking with uh, Amy Coney Barrett. So we'll find out how that's going. Bring you the highlights in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Really, the issue in the case is this doctrine of severability, and that's not something that I've ever talked about with respect to the Affordable Care Act. Honestly, I haven't written anything about severability that I know of um, at all. So you have no thoughts on the subject? Well, it's a case that's on the court's docket, and the canons of judicial conduct, you know, would prohibit me from expressing a view. So what were you, uh, as a lawyer, Allison, what do you say about that? I just thought it was, if the roles were reversed, right, if it was a male senator asking that of a female, you know, appointee from a Democratic president, it would be all over the place. You have no thoughts on the subject. 
you have to realize this has been going on and Feinstein asked her over and over and over again different aspects and how she'd, you know, go back on row. And all she's saying is, I'm not giving an opinion. There's judicial precedent. This is the process. So the fact she's asking her the same question on a different issue and then says you have no thoughts on the issue, it, it's obviously you know she wants, she has thoughts. She's one of the smartest women in America. But the dismissive follow-up is ridiculous. It's, it's inappropriate. Yeah, inappropriate for somebody who's going to be a Supreme Court justice. Uh, so far, but it was the first question out of the box is, in the past you said Roe v. Wade, not good. Now what do you think? Can't comment. And next, and it's like, what do you mean you can't comment, essentially? Yeah, we have some of that if you want to hear it. Um, and just basically call for us to wave down because Feinstein asked the same question over and over okay. again. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe was wrongly decided? So, Senator, I do want to be forthright and answer every question so far as I can. I think on that question, I, you know, I'm going to invoke Justice Kagan's description, which I think is um, perfectly put. When she was in her confirmation hearing, she said that she was not going to grade precedent or give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I think in an area where precedent continues to be pressed and litigated, as is true of Casey, it would be particularly, um, it would actually be wrong and a violation of the canons for me to do that as a sitting judge. Um, so if, if I express a view on a precedent one way or another, whether I say I love it or I hate it, it signals to litigants that I might tilt one way or another in a pending case. And she asks the same thing over and over again, right? Same thing. So, and if that, this is just the first, this is the first one. There's 10. And they all get a half hour. Yep. When, uh, 22 and all. Now Feinstein's going and yep. Uh, and the, the, by the way, Feinstein's got something to prove because a lot of people on the left were saying she's not up for this. And, you know, she's 91 years old. It's incredible she's doing this, going 3,000 miles back and forth. Uh, WG, listen on WPTF. Hey, WG. Hey, Mr. Brian, how, uh, how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Um, well, so something that's been on my mind for uh, many weeks is to do the con- uh, more on the, the virus thing. Why don't we expand the... Voting day, because I know this is a state-by-state state thing, I think, uh, to uh, Monday and Tuesday, that would at least increase the safety margin by 50 percent. Look, they are voting early in Georgia. They are voting early in portions of Texas uh, in person. In fact, it's ridiculous how long these lines are. I cannot believe we still can't get these lines down for under five hours, especially because it's not November 3rd. Um, what I think that President Trump missed out on is I would have reached out to the other camp right away. I'm not saying it would have had success. I would say, listen, we both want this thing to come out right, right? We both are in the middle of a pandemic, first time in 100 years, right? Right. So let's get together on this and talk about the 50, you know, the 45 states that have never done pervasive mail-in balloting. How do we do it? What state management? Why don't we come out together on this? Because you don't want to win by mistake. You don't want to lose by mistake. Thanks so much for the call. Mike, listen on WBMT. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. Uh, big fan. Uh, reading your books. Uh, keep them coming. Thank you. Uh, great job. Listen, I, uh, um, I'm a, I'm a big Trump supporter. I'm a big uh, Barrett supporter. Supreme Court, I wish. I hope everything goes so right So do you here. believe these polls Trump. that he's trailing? <laughs> as much as I believe the polls in 2016. Yeah, it's about the same distance. Uh, they are desperate, desperate to make it look like it's hopeless. And I don't Listen, think if it's any any kind of a sign up here in northern Vermont where I am, Brian, uh, 
Biden's running third right now, right behind Donald Trump and firewood for sale. <laughs> Listen, he's a terrible candidate. Donald Trump is going to outwork him. Barring anything extraordinary, Trump's going to be doing two or three events a day starting probably on probably Friday. And he will outwork the so-called blue-collar guy. Thanks so much for the call. Appreciate it. Special thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West and Kyle Smith for doing a great job. About my books, go to briankillme.com. If you want them signed and sent, personalized, it's all there. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. Coming from New York, heard around the country, around the world, we are following events in Washington, D.C. as Amy Coney Barrett continues to try to uh, make her way through the Senate Judiciary Committee. She's made it through one Democrat. Now she's on her second Republican. Uh, then we're going to talk to Brent Murphy about how she's doing. Uh, Brent is a uh, student uh, of uh, and a clerk of Amy Coney Barrett. Knows her quite well. It's tough, too, because I feel bad for people that know her and like her, any candidate, Republican or Democrat, who are nominated because they get so they get attacked because the other side's ha- unhappy that that person was nominated by the other side. But I would have to say this. Republicans treat the Democratic candidates with a lot more deference than we have seen Democrats treat Republican candidates. Just look at uh, Justice Thomas, look at Kavanaugh, even look at Gorsuch. Look at the fact that Sam Alito's wife was brought to tears. Uh, Varney and company, I'll do a simulcast there. You'll see what I look like. But if you have Fox Nation, you know exactly what I look like because you're seeing the show. And you can always see the show anywhere you go at BrianKillMeShow.com. So we'll find out what's happening there. We're also just observing the New York Governor Cuomo with more deaths, sadly, in this state than any others, is writing a book on his brilliance on handling the pandemic in the middle of a pandemic with a prediction of a second wave. One of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We may well have a doubling of world poverty by next year. We may well have at least a doubling of child malnutrition. This is a terrible, ghastly global uh, catastrophe, actually. We really do appeal to all world leaders. Stop using lockdown as your primary control method. Really? WHO? Dr. David Navarro? Stop doing lockdowns? This, according to the organization that demanded, we lock down the entire world because of the pandemic? Says that he has concluded what we all know. The most vulnerable have paid the greatest price. No kidding. As the U.S. looks at a COVID lockdown bill of $16 trillion and countless other illnesses have spawned because they haven't gotten the treatment or attention or discovery that they would have had. Incredible. Number two. I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel, I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? Yeah, that Mormon. It's on the tip of my tongue. We never mentioned him. Mitt Romney? You got in trouble? Terrible appearance yesterday 
by the former vice president and a great appearance by the president. He was entertaining. He was vigorous. He went for over an hour. The guy actually danced. He got a huge crowd in a day and a half in Central Florida. Meanwhile, Joe Biden attracts just a few cars in a parking lot, stumbling badly on the stump verbally while they chanted in the background four more years for Donald Trump. But how is Biden winning? Number one, they are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. They are deliberately defying the will of the people in their attempt to roll back the rights and protections provided under the Affordable Care Act. Unbelievable. Amy Coney Barrett takes the heat. We'll bring you the action as it unfolds. Look back at the Monday Democratic line of attack. They really kind of looked past her and talked about health care, Obamacare, the brilliance of Obamacare that everyone loves and that families all alive because of Obamacare. We're not talking about the high deductibles, the huge co-payments and the fact that doctors don't want it. Why should I digress? Uh, welcome back, everybody. So. And I'm going to be able to take your calls in 12 minutes, but I'm going to bring some highlights from what uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Judge Barrett, has been doing. And that's answering every question coolly and calmly and collectively. But they wanted to say, hey, I'm going to overturn Roe v. Wade and I'm going to get rid of Obamacare. I can't wait. And she's not going to say it. She's also not going to commit to recusing herself for the election. And she's also not going to commit to get not judging this decision that could be coming down November 11th should she be seated on the Supreme Court. Senator Lindsey Graham had this hope. And so far, it's okay. Cut for. This is going to be a long, contentious week. I would just ask one thing of the committee. To the extent possible, let's make it respectful. Let's make it challenging. Let's remember the world is watching. Yeah, we hope. Uh, Meanwhile, the Democrats had this theme yesterday, cut six. They are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. They are deliberately defying the will of the people in their attempt to roll back the rights and protections provided under the Affordable Care Act. In the midst of a pandemic, the Republicans want to strike down a law that 23 million Americans rely on. And that was uh, Dick Durbin uh, feigning exasperation. 21 days until the big event, and that is November 3rd. We already know this. Nine million people, a stunning number, have already voted. And if you look at the lines yesterday in Georgia and in Texas, that number could even double uh, by next week. And hopefully by next week we do have a debate on the 22nd. We should have one Thursday, but I think President Trump was wrong to just— Say the heck with that virtual debate. I think he might have been able to convince them that he is fine as he appears in front of it looks like 12,000 people yesterday in central Florida. Uh, Today he's going to uh, be in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. On Wednesday he's going to be in Des Moines, Iowa. On Thursday he's going to be in Greenville, North Carolina. He looked at Jason Miller yesterday, according to Jason, and he said, why am I not doing more events? He wants two and three a day. He wants to outwork you. I mean, that's pretty much the old-fashioned, I will outwork you. It worked for Hillary Clinton. Now, for Joe Biden, I don't even know why he's leaving the basement. He doesn't want big crowds to look responsible. He doesn't attract big crowds ever. On his best day, wouldn't get big crowds. Without Jay-Z warming up for him, Hillary Clinton wouldn't have gotten big crowds, let alone John Kerry. Uh, Nobody cares about Joe Biden. They just don't want Donald Trump. But the people that want Trump want him more than life itself. So you have Joe Biden who go to these who go to these events in front of three people and take questions from local reporters. If that's all you're going to do, you might as well stay in your basement. You're 77 years old. You've had two brain aneurysms. Why take the risk? 
But the big question is, are you going to overturn the, uh, the filibuster in the Senate, make it exactly like the House? Are you going to pack the Supreme Court and add seven Supreme Court justices like FDR? Are you going to add D.C. as a state and get two more senators who will almost 100 percent certain to be Democrats to fatten up the Senate and maybe preserve that majority for years to come? Chuck Schumer says it's all on the table. Cut 18. As for ourselves, what I've said is we're going to win the election, God willing. Uh, President, maybe hopefully take back the Senate. It's not an easy fight, but we're doing well. And then everything will be on the table. That's all. But we're not going to fall into the trap of debating that now after what they've done. And when there is so many substantive issues at stake that the American people care about, health care above all. Yeah, right. Uh, Substantive issues, but nothing will take a backseat to what you just mentioned or intimated that you'll do. Nothing. If you change the complexion of the court at the same time, fatten the numbers of states uh, on our flag and in the Senate, uh, that pretty much takes all precedent. If Trump was to do that, he would say that. He openly told Mitch McConnell, get rid of the filibuster, start passing our stuff. Mitch McConnell said, no, I have too much respect for the chamber. It was Harry Reid that threw it in the street on court, on, uh, court fights. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz listened to all this and says, listen, I know what's going to happen. If the trend is true and the polls show the Senate is in jeopardy and Joe Biden's in the lead, cut 22. I think they will do it if they win. I think they will have the votes. I think it will be a straight party line vote. If, God forbid, we wake up in January with Biden, Schumer and Pelosi in charge, they'll end the filibuster in the Senate, which means the the Senate minority can't stop whatever they're doing. They'll add two new new states to the United States to add four Democratic senators. And I think they will pack the court. And I think every Senate Democrat is in on the joke. They know that. It's why Kamala refuses to answer it. Well, uh, Senator Ted Cruz says we could uh, hold his meaning him. We uh, he says we, we, the party, could hold on to the White House and the Senate. But it's going to be tough. Now, the poll that predicted the president Trump would win last time, I think one of only two, the Investor Business Daily uh, now has uh, Biden leading by 8.5 points. Certainly not a good sign. The poll is one of the only two polls that predicted Trump would win in 2016. So it is, according to them, 43, uh, 51 to 43. Anytime you see over 50, it's problematic. They also have the Libertarian candidate getting 2% of the vote, which matters because that 2% could be the difference. That's nationally. In terms of the battleground states, the president is basically in a dead heat in Iowa, North Carolina, and in uh, Ohio a slight lead, but he's trailing in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. He's trailing in Michigan, and he might be in a dead heat or down by a couple since the debate in Florida. And I think there's a case to be made for all of them, but it's tougher. There's no NRA now. Pretty clear. You know, a lot of the benefactors that were there before are not there now. But Brad Parscale and the money that he collected over the last three and a half years seems to be gone along with him and his role, the big 6'8 Texan. That's a big mystery that's underreported because people just love the fact that he's gone and that uh, Trump doesn't have the money. Evidently, he's pulling back some ads in some key states and says it's part of the plan. I don't really know why that's part of the plan. The best thing that Donald Trump has is him. He's an asset. Sometimes he gets in his own way. We all know that. But the best, real best thing that the president has is Joe Biden he's running against. Listen to this. Joe Biden yesterday, Toledo, Ohio, cut 28. There's no, there's no quit in America. There's none. In America, we can do anything 
that we need to do if we can do it together. Nothing can stop us. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Exactly. Hmm. Wait a second. There's only two seats, and they're being filled in Delaware. What's he talking about? He's running for president. He forgot who he's running with. And then he has this little bout, and we all forget names sometimes, but not a guy that was nominated to run for president. I find it hard to believe. But yesterday in his appearance, he tried to say he got himself in trouble when he won against, I don't know. Let's see if we can figure it out together. You may remember... I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor, okay? And I took him on. Anybody could, no one's face to be questioned. Okay. Mitt Romney, all right? I think we all know that. Every once in a while, you forget something. I mean, with the little sleep I get, so many times I forget something quite obvious. But anytime this guy is off script, he's got a problem. And man, life is off script. Being a president is off script. So Trump hears this. He was in Sanford, Florida yesterday. Cut 29. He had a very bad day today. He had a very bad day. You saw what happened. If I ever had a day like he had today, they'd say it's over. It's over. Now, Biden had a bad day. He forgot Mitt Romney's name. He didn't know what state he was in. And he said, today he's a proud Democrat running for the U.S. Senate. No, you can can't do it. It's the second time. Can you imagine if I did that? So the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll take your calls on, this has me enraged. We had the WHO come out and reveal to something that we all knew. Lockdowns uh, do more harm than good. If you're going to kill the patient, don't give them the medicine. I'd rather die. Is You're making things worse. That's what the president said. 30 days to slow the spread. We had 30. We're still in them. These Democrats, for some reason, are reluctant to open up. And now you have this governor in New York, Cuomo, saying, I'm going to lock down. He has many lockdowns in certain districts in Queens and Brooklyn. In the U.K., they're doing it again. Now, the the... WHO, the World Health Organization, has just come out and said, well, wait a second. Hmm. I'm thinking this might not be a great idea. I'm not kidding. The one that told us to lock down, we have no choice. We have to change our lives for the good of others. Here's James Comer. Excuse me. Here is um, with the coronavirus for the WHO. Let me get to the right page. First, I want you to hear what we were told in April. Just to remind everyone, Dr. Tedros Adam uh, Gerbrasis. He runs the WHO, put there by China when America was looking the other way. Cut 37. People in countries with stay-at-home orders are understandably frustrated with being confined to their homes for weeks on end. People understandably want to get on with their lives because their lives and livelihoods are at stake. That's what WHO wants to and that's what we're working for all day, every day. But the world will not and cannot go back to the way things were. There must be a new normal, yeah, the a new- world that's healthier, safer, and better prepared. Yeah, let's look at the new normal. Look at what's happening to the poverty levels as they drop around the world. Look what's happened to the tourism industry, and hence uh, 
the Caribbean, who desperately needs the tourist dollars. That is basically their economy. Think about the cruise industry that's taking place. Think about the ailments, the cancer treatments that have not been discovered or people have not taken them because hospitals have been overwhelmed or they just don't feel as though they want to take the risk. That's what led to this. Dr. David Nabarro, he's uh, on Spectator TV and said this. We in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as a primary means of control of this virus. Inexcusable. Now you don't advocate them. In April, you insisted on it. And guess who's doing it again? Germany, France, England, Israel, and the the governor of New York is deciding he likes it so much, he's going to start cracking down again. Do you hear the experts? It's too late. That's not going to work. We need a plan B. Back with your calls in just a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It would seem that one of the bigger mistakes we can all agree on was back in March, the state of New York sending sick COVID-positive seniors back to nursing homes. Thousands died in those nursing homes, no matter how you counted, a big portion of the overall death toll. Knowing what you know now, looking back... I got to assume you would do things differently. Uh, Look, there's no doubt that we learned lessons. On the nursing homes, the first point is uh, that's how we were introduced to this virus, right? It was a nursing home in the state of Washington. The virus preyed on the weak, and it preyed on people in nursing homes. And most of the lives lost, the single greatest percentage is in nursing homes, and that's true all across the country. Uh, And there's also no doubt that we're in this hyper-political environment, so everybody wants to point fingers. Uh, New York, actually, we're number Number 46 out of 50 in terms of percentage of deaths in nursing homes. 46 out of 50. So, uh, yes, people died in nursing homes. Uh, Yes, uh, we've learned a lot of lessons. But 46 out of 50, uh, it's not a predominantly New York problem. If we had to do it all over again, Tony, I would do things differently. So there you go. Uh, I did not know that ranking. I'll have to research that. Jane, listen, WABC in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hey, Jane. Hey, Brian, I want you to be more optimistic about um, the president and his chances. I don't believe in those polls. The day before the election um, in 2016, they had Clinton up by 11 points. There was no way Trump could ever win. So I'm running on sense of the American people and everything that he's pushed. And the only people that are going to come out and, and vote for are low information voters. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Jane, uh, he just got to make sure he finds a way to win back seniors. Uh, some of them a little ticked at him by the way he's handled the coronavirus. But he's picked up Hispanic votes. He's picked up black votes. He's also increased his high school educated white support in, in major battleground areas. When we cut, We'll see if that adds up. It's not over by a long shot. I know that we don't know. Brent Murphy, he's a legal expert and a former student. Uh, clerk for Amy Coney Barrett is being questioned right now on Capitol Hill. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. 
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show senator i completely understand why you are asking the question but again i can't pre-commit or say yes i'm going in with some agenda because i'm not i don't have any agenda i have no agenda to try to overrule casey um, i have an agenda to stick to the rule of law and decide cases as they come well, what I'm, as a person, uh, I don't know if you'll answer this one either. Do you agree with Justice Scalia's view that Roe can and should be overturned by the Supreme Court? Well, I think my answer is the same because, you know, that's a case that's litigated. It could, you know, its contours could come up again. In fact, do come up. You know, they, they came up last term before the court. So I think, you know, what the Casey standard is, and um, that's just, it's a contentious issue, which is, I know, one reason why it would be comforting to you to have an answer. But I can't express views on cases or pre-commit um, to approaching a case any particular way. Uh, that was uh, actually Justice Barrett, Judge Barrett. She wants to be Supreme Court Justice Barrett, and that was... Uh, Senator Feinstein, the ranking member there, trying to get her to commit to saying, I will overturn Roe v. Wade. It didn't happen. Brent Murphy's not surprised. She, he was a student and clerk for Amy Coney Barrett and joins us now. Brent, welcome. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, Brent, it's amazing. Every time they try to get him on the big decisions before they happen, every single justice contender nominee, they don't answer. Why do they ask the question if they know they're not going to get an answer? Right. I, I don't know. I, and this is something that goes all the way back. Like Judge said today at, at our hearing, this is you know colloquially known as the Ginsburg rule because every nominee for the Supreme Court, going back to Justice Ginsburg, and I think even before Justice Ginsburg, has said you know you you can't opine on cases that you're going to rule on. And so I, I'm not sure. I guess it's it's for the ratings. <laughs> so Brent, when you see her there, she seems calm and composed, but she has a family behind her, hostile people in front of her, at least ten of them. How does she look? Is this the person that you know? Oh, yeah. This is exactly the Judge Barrett that I've known for about five years now. I mean, tremendous grace under pressure and the ability to clearly and distinctly, and I saw, you know, without notes, um, handle really complex legal issues and walk people through the law. So uh, it's exciting to see sort of the person that I know um, introduced to the American people like this. What did she learn from her last go around to get her current position that's helping her now? I think probably um, having already been through a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing with a lot of the same senators, I'd imagine it helps um, to, although this is obviously on a much bigger scale, I think it helps to, to sort of have already seen the process once before. Um, and obviously, she didn't have an easy time last time around either, um, and she handled that with a lot of grace. And so... Uh, it's, it's, I bet, been helpful to uh, look back on the experience that she had last time around in 2017. Um, what about a decision to have the family behind her? Was that a tough decision? You know, I haven't talked to her about um, sort of how they decided who was going to be in the room, but I, I do know that family is really important to her, and I know that it's probably very meaningful for her to have her husband, Jesse, and mm -hmm. Um, I think six of her seven kids there with her and her, her family, her, her sisters and brother. And um, I'm sure that they probably, even if she hadn't wanted them to be there, um, they probably would have demanded that they get to sort of be there and support her. 
Brent, did, did she do did she study the backgrounds of these senators to know basically how they'd come at her? You know, I don't know um, exactly what she did to prepare. I'm sure this has been um, a process that's been going on more or less since the announcement to sort of get ready for these hearings. Um, I know that there was a lot of material in briefing on sort of a lot of the issues that have come up before in uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings to sort of be prepared for um, what are going to be the hot button issues, what are people going to be asking questions about, and um, I think that what we've seen so far is that uh, she is here to talk about the law and applying the Constitution, and she's going to leave sort of the political questions to the senators who are there elected, because that's their job, not hers. Do you think she had a look or a glimpse of what might be staring at her in November if she got the job? Um, in terms of you cases. Know, I think that, I'm sorry? In terms of cases. Uh, I think that she definitely, I, that part of it is just, you know, she's already on a lower court. And so part of that job is keeping abreast of decisions that the Supreme Court has made or has pending before it, because you're going to hear cases that sometimes have overlapping issues. And so um, in the time that I worked as a clerk for her, that was part of it was just keeping up to date on what issues were coming up in front of the court, what cases were going to be coming out and decided. Um, so I, I'm sure that she... Uh, already had a pretty good familiarity with what the court's pending docket was and, you know, really got up to speed pretty fast on anything that she had missed. You think she'll recuse herself when asked about any type of Trump-Biden impasse election or from Obamacare? Do you, They're going to ask her to recuse herself. Do you think she will? You know, I don't want to speak for her, put words in her mouth, but but what I do know sort of from the time that I spent with Judge Barrett is that she will follow the law um, and she will follow exactly the precedent that's been set by other Supreme Court justices before. Um, I'm sure if she is confirmed, she will consult with the justices who are already there. I think she talked about that a little bit already this morning. Um, So I have no doubt that she she will follow the law and do what the law requires. Um, and I'll let her speak a little bit more about exactly how she would handle recusal. Brent, do you think there was any hesitation to say yes when the president asked her? Oh, I'm sure. I can't imagine that any rational person um, wouldn't have to take some time to, especially someone like Judge Barrett, who, you know, her family is so important to her. She has a really tight-knit community in South Bend. Um, I'm sure that it wasn't an easy decision knowing both the way that you would have to uproot your family and also just how really excruciating the confirmation process has become for anyone, um, not to mention, you know, under present mm-hmm. circumstances. And so I'm sure that that took a lot of conversation and a lot of prayer and a lot of thinking. Um, but I think ultimately it, it shows a lot of courage to and a lot of self-sacrifice on her part to accept the nomination because she wants to serve the country. Brent Murphy, student of and clerk for Amy Coney Barrett. Thanks so much, Brent. Thank you. All right. And Murphy is also an associate at Latham & Watkins, major law firm. Uh, Verna, listen on KRMG in Tulsa. Hey, Verna. Uh, Yes. I just want to know why Joe Biden and even the other Democrats that call out people's nationalities and religion and morals and point it out, just like Joe Biden with the Mormon. 
Well, put it this way. Where's Joe Biden condemning the violence in Portland? Where's Joe Biden condemning the takedown of the Lincoln statue and Teddy Roosevelt statue? Why is he calling it an Indigenous People Day, knowing that it's a, that's offensive to most Italians on Columbus Day yesterday? This guy has radio silence despite everything he's doing. It's nuts. Right. And we know what would happen if President Trump or any of the Republicans did that. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the call. Ron, listening on KGNC in beautiful Amarillo, Texas. Hey, Ron. Yes. Yes. Uh, Brian, I just wanted to uh, bring up that Joe Biden, uh, anybody can see, you know, people in his own party can see where these crowds of 12, 15 people, none in some cases, uh, that but it don't seem to be worrying that the party much. I believe that they are depending a whole lot, a whole lot on these mail-in votes. I, I just, I just think they are. That, that how are you going to vote, Ron? How are you voting in person? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to polls. Yeah, big but, lines over in Texas, Ron. I, I don't know. I don't know if they do. They are depending on mail-in voting, but I'm not even. I'm not assuming that they're they're cheating. I'm just saying, let's just observe and make sure they're not. Let's make sure it's a it's a fair and balanced election. Cliff, Cliff into the Fox News Radio app. Cliff in Missouri. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm great. Real quick. Hey, if you could, if you go on the 2020 Democrat uh, platform that they just had during their convention, the court packing is in there, and they cite the reasons for doing that are because of all the republic the conservative judges that the Republicans have put on the court since Trump. Second thing is. Tony Barrett was on the list back back during the Kavanaugh uh, nomination. Yep, before Brett was. was nominated. So this Supreme Court thing the Democrats are showing out over the ACA is a false argument. Well, we're going to see. I think they're absolutely – Joe Biden wins and they get the Senate. It is done. They are going to add Supreme Court justices to the court. They are going to get rid of the filibuster. Everything that they propose, the Joe Biden tax plan will happen. They're going to up taxes on corporations immediately and uh, others. They're going to withdraw, withdraw the uh, reinstall the salt tax deduction in states, which really aggravated them. But that was a way of earning money to help balance out the tax cuts for the corporations, which include the deli and dry cleaner right near you. They're going to start putting regulations in place. It's going to place. It's going to make it harder and harder for oil and gas, including natural gas, uh, to exist. And they're going to go out of their way to make sure the electoral college is marginalized. I know you need an amendment for that, but I think they're going to do it because they know that keeps Republicans in contention. Uh, listen, when we come back, I go on with Stuart Varney. You'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, then your calls. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. In matter of moments, I'll be joined Stuart Varney, the number one show in all business television on FBN. We'll do a simulcast, share audiences, and I'll be back with you, 1-866-408-7669. We're still watching the would-be confirmation process of Judge Barrett as she takes questions now from Senator Leahy. She already took it from Senator Feinstein. And I believe those are the only two Democrats, four in all. So let's listen in together. Right exactly. It's 10.51 on the dot. That means time for Brian Kilmeade, host of The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, 
I want to raise a couple of gaffes from Joe Biden. He's out with a couple. He claimed he's running for the U.S. Senate. He's not, obviously. He's running for the presidency. And he questioned the memory of voters who think they're better off now than they were four years ago. These gaffes occurred, but they were overshadowed by the hearings in the Supreme Court and by a very energetic President Trump. What do you say? Well, yeah, I mean, President Trump underlined them. Yesterday, of course, he spoke for over an hour. In about a day and a half, President put together thousands of people in central uh, Florida by asking them to show up, which is pretty amazing. Now, think about this. The drive-in event, which uh, Vice President Biden says was responsible, got just about nobody, half a parking lot, and people showed up and started chanting four more years, at which time Joe Biden came out and said, I'm running for the Senate. He also could not think of Mitt Romney's name, that Mormon who was governor. Really? Mm. Mitt Romney, who you ran against? You forgot. Listen, I'm one of the worst with short-term memory, but I'm pretty sure I got Mitt Romney down. Number two is, can you imagine a normally rigorous schedule for a nominee, Stuart? He's on a zero schedule. Also, if you're going to show up and just do a couple of local interviews in front of 12 sedans. I don't know what the point is even leaving your basement. You're not getting familiar with the people. You're not knocking on doors. In this environment, you could still do it in a responsible way. You're yeah. not meeting people or going to visit civic associations. Why is he even traveling? It's all window dressing. My belief is he thinks he won already. And that's well, why I believe well, that third debate is in jeopardy. How do you explain the, poll the polls? I mean, well, the polls are widening in Joe Biden's favor when he's doing virtually no campaigning and the president has recovered from the virus, he's out of the hospital, and the man is campaigning all over the country. Stuart, I mean, how do you explain those polls? Stuart, I'll give you a couple of things. The president doesn't right now have the NRA on his side. They've been sidelined with an investigation. I also think it doesn't help if you look at the Drudge Report. They used to be an honest consolidator of news. Yeah. It's not even there. Then you have the money that is uh, lacking in this campaign. I don't know what Brad Parscale was doing, but he's out and the money's gone. Number two is the president's been on the shelf for a week and did not have a great debate performance. All this can turn around in 21 days. We saw evidence of it yesterday. We'll see it in North Carolina. We're going to see it in Iowa. He's going to blue collar it and he's going to outwork like he did Hillary Clinton down the stretch. And he's going to make Joe Biden define what he's going to do. Biden got himself into a corner because Schumer keeps saying we're going to get rid of the filibuster. We're going to uh, pack the court. We're going to make D.C. a state. We're going to have a permanent majority. And that's scaring a lot of people. And Joe Biden can't answer one difficult question. I think it's up to fair and balanced journalists following him around to make him answer questions and make him answer this question, how Barack Obama's doctor, Dr. David Shire, for years said, quote, he is not a healthy guy. And that was six years ago. Can you imagine the Joe Biden we're dealing with right now? Not to be Strong. cruel, but this is for the presidency. Okay, that's dynamite material you got there, Brian. Look, I'm out of time. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks, the race Brian. continues. Thanks, It dude. sure does. Let's see if we can turn it around, too. All right. Uh, Joe, listen on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Listen, I'm voting in person. I don't care what anybody says. I don't trust those mail-in votes. I don't trust the people running them. I want to vote in person, like I've done every year for the every uh, election for the past 20-plus years. Me too. I mean, do you see what they're doing in New York when you request a ballot? Uh, people I know are getting two ballots. And they say, well, just ignore the first one. Really? 
Ignore the first one. And then uh, you have Andrea Pizer in the New York Post say she got two ballots. And the second ballot says because she was in the military. She's not in the military. She doesn't get a military ballot. So what are they doing? We're seeing this all around. That's what I mean. They're playing with our votes. And there's no reason why we can't vote in person. No reason whatsoever. You want to go vote in person, get up early, go there, make sure. If If you're afraid of this COVID, make sure. You're by yourself, the social distance and all that, and vote. Allison, you're in New Jersey. Can you can you actually vote in person, or do they really want everybody to vote uh, via mail? Uh, for my town, what we can do, right, drop of the mail, a drop-off box, or on Election Day, we can go to, in our case, the high school and drop it off. But you can't actually show up like you used to. No, I mean, I don't think we can go into a voting booth. That's not an option. Wow, that's unbelievable that it's not an option. Why put that type of pressure on the postal system on a brand-new ballot uh, system? That's incredible. In New York, at least you still have the option. Walter, listen on WDAN in Danville, Illinois. Hey, Walter. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, Greetings from the land of King J.B. Pritzker. Oh, yeah. Um, Genius. I was was thinking about— the, 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 this talk about uh, that the Judge Barrett or hopefully Justice Barrett should recuse herself from any decisions involving the election. And it just got me to thinking, well, maybe those Obama appointees should recuse themselves from any cases involving the Affordable Care Act. I mean, maybe. Totally fair. Right. I think that was brought yeah. up, if I remember correctly, when Kagan got put on. Didn't they? Because she had just left the administration and they thought about that when it came up. But she did not recuse herself. Yeah. So it's important. No, and it's equal to suggest it. I hear you. Hey, real quick, Tony, w- WABC in Teterboro, New Jersey. Tony. Yeah, Brian. Uh, you know, looking back at Ronald Reagan, Election Day, he was down six points to Carter. He was down to Mondale, won the both of them. Bush Sr. was also down to Dukakis. He won. Bush Jr. was down in both of his elections. He won. Trump was down in 16. He won. I don't know where they come up with these polls. Tony, I'll tell you this. I've never seen passion for any candidate, including Trump 2016, as I see in 2020. I can't believe it's all over. Even in blue states, I'm seeing flotillas and parades in a way in which I have not seen. So anyone who counts him out is crazy. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. one 408 We're just watching the proceedings with Amy Coney Barrett. And of course, President Trump has come up because they say that they are using this. The Democrats are using this forum uh, for their own political gain, for example, to bring up the Republicans going to get rid of Obamacare, and Republicans going to get rid of Roe v. Wade. Republicans don't like women. And he said, "No, just look at the president's tweets." So the president's never far from anyone's mind, and he's definitely much, very much in Senator Dick Durbin's head. We started this whole proceeding up with Senator Lindsey Graham making it clear 
in his mind, Obamacare sucks. And the, in the country's mind up until 2018, it sucks. The, it it might have been well-intended, but the deductibles are too high. The co-pays are too high. And the doctors don't want to accept it. Is it better than nothing? Not by much, because states oftentimes have their own plans, and there is uh, Medicaid for people who are in adverse conditions. But now, all of a sudden, it's the gilded situation. It's the golden goose because Republicans were dumb enough not to come up with their own alternative. So we have uh, Brad Meltzer coming up shortly. Did you see what happened last night? They took down an Abraham Lincoln statue in that horrible place called Portland because the mayor won't crack down and these cops aren't empowered where there's just a riot a day. And Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt statues are taken down. I want to talk about this war in history that seems to be reignited. They're going through film. Hopefully there'll be an arrest. And then Andy McCarthy about how these proceedings are going. And is Amy Coney Barrett really en route to becoming a Supreme Court justice? Man, she has been so oppressive, so impressive so far. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We may well have a doubling of world poverty by next year. We may well have at least a doubling of child malnutrition. This is a terrible, ghastly global uh, catastrophe, actually. We really do appeal to all world leaders. Stop using lockdown as your primary control method. Yeah, no kidding. Dr. David Nabarro of the WHO. Lockdowns don't work. That's what he's saying. That's according to the World Health Organization. They say the most vulnerable pay the greatest price. No kidding. As the U.S. and many other countries are looking at multi-trillion dollar deficits. In our case alone, we've lost $16 trillion because organizations like yours said lockdown for the good of the others. And now it turns out it's for our to our detriment. Number two. I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel, I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon. The governor, okay? That's unbelievable. The tale of two candidates. Joe Biden making gaffe after gaffe in front of a parking lot full of supporters which was half full with people chanting four more years in salute to President Trump. Well, President Trump in 36 hours was able to put together a multi-thousand dollar person event in Orlando. Most seemed to be wearing masks. He looked vigorous. He was entertaining. He even danced. This guy is going to go down fighting if he does go down. I look for a slow surge in the polls, barring anything extraordinary. Number one. They are asking the Supreme Court to strike down the Affordable Care Act. They are deliberately defying the will of the people in their attempt to roll back the rights and protections provided under the Affordable Care Act. Amy Coney Barrett takes the heat. We'll bring in the action as it unfolds and look back at the Monday Democratic line of attack. Health care, health care, health care, and oh yeah, Roe v. Wade. Uh, That's basically what we're seeing. She's not going to make comment on a decision that's not before her. She's not going to comment on a decision at all. She's also going to be able to expand on anything she wrote and also let you know she's not going to recuse herself because it's a bad precedent. You start saying, hey, I'm going to recuse myself here on the Affordable Care Act. I'm going to recuse myself as it do with Roe v. Wade. I'm going to recuse myself because Donald Trump's name's mentioned. And next thing you know, they're going to start pushing her around and other justices around trying to find some type of linkage to some type of case that makes Judge Alito or, or Justice Kagan step aside. I understand it is a... Difficult precedent to go through. Lindsey Graham came out today and immediately let everybody know 
I don't know if we were able to pull this back, but I love when Lindsey Graham came out today and just basically said, we spent all of Monday focusing on Obamacare and how great it was and how Amy Coney Barrett's got to get rid of it because she wrote that Justice Roberts, Roberts was wrong to come up with a reason to keep it. And the reason he came up with was that uh, that mandate that makes you buy insurance. He says it's tax. Well, since Donald Trump took office, he got rid of that mandate. And now it's being brought up again to the Supreme Court. And it's going to be heard, I believe, November 11th. Now, the, the way I understand the simplest, simplistic approach, which is the only one I have currently, is this severability. Look at this piece of legislation. It passed properly. It passed the test of Supreme Court properly. But now, without a mandate, is it still whole? Or can you just sever off the mandate and say the rest is fine? Now, it looks like Justice uh, Kavanaugh has already said severability, absolutely uh, constitutional. But that's what's before Amy Coney Barrett, the severability. Can you cut out a piece of legislation and have it still be constitutional? It seems to be yes. What Lindsey Graham asked for was people to be tough, and he expects it, but to be civil. But in terms of her being the person to fill this vacancy, Justice uh, John Eastman weighed in. He's a constitutional scholar. Can you put a justice in? was still 30, 60 days before you leave office. Cut nine. 29 times in our history, uh, a vacancy has occurred in the last year of a president's term of office. In 28 out of those 29 times, the president nominated somebody, including Barack Obama, who nominated Merrick Garland. Uh, And in most of those times, when the Senate was in the same party hands as the White House, the Senate confirmed him. The only time that that didn't happen was was in 1864. And here was a big lie from Senator Kamala Harris at the debate last week um, uh, when she said to Abraham Lincoln, said we should let the people decide. He said no such thing. And by the way, uh, in 1864, half the country had left. When he said let the people decide, we're still killing each other at sadly a dizzying rate. So when I talked about severability in a legal way, I think it's very easy to picture, though, just picture something whole, having a piece cut off and saying, is it still whole? The Supreme Court is going to ask, is it still valid? Yes. Here's what Amy Coney Barrett said about that in theory, not thinking about Obamacare, but in theory. When I wrote, and this was as a law professor, about those decisions, I did critique the statutory interpretation of the majority opinions. And as I mentioned before, my description of them was consistent with the way that Chief Justice Roberts described the statutory question. But I think that your concern is that because I critiqued the statutory reasoning that I'm hostile to the ACA, and that because I'm hostile to the ACA that I would decide a case a particular way. And I assure you that I am not. I'm not hostile to the ACA. I'm not hostile to any statute that you pass. And the cases on which I commented, and we can talk at another time, I guess, about the context, the distinctions between academic writing and judicial decision-making, but those were on entirely different issues. So to assume that because I critiqued the interpretation of the mandate or the phrase established by a state, means that on the entirely different legal question of severability, I would reach a particular result, just assumes that I'm hostile. And that's not the case. I apply the law. I follow the law. You make the policy. 
And by the way, fundamentally, she did talk about the legislative branch has got to start doing their job and stop having them having to do legislation through de- judicial decisions. So even that made sense to me, who didn't graduate number one in his class in Notre Dame. In fact, I don't believe I've got to check my resume again. I don't think I went there. Uh, meanwhile, the president of the United States is going to be in is going to be in Johnstown, Pennsylvania today, a place the polls say is trailing by six. I, I don't know. I don't see it. And most people there don't see it. On Wednesday, he's going to Des Moines, Moines, Iowa. He won handily last time. Now they say it's in a flat-footed tie. Obviously winnable if you've seen the president and you know how he closes. And then Greenville, North Carolina, where he feels very optimistic, not only for him, but for Senator Tillis, who now has an opponent in Cal Cunningham with a huge sex scandal where he just admitted to at a press conference and couldn't answer the question, are there others? Uh, He couldn't say no. So when you run on integrity, that's the issue. And people say, well, look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump ran as Donald Trump. He ran out and said, listen to what I've done in the past. I've, this is my third wife. This is my four kids. Uh, you've seen me on television. You've seen me in business. You've talked to me a lot. You've seen me at fights. And now you're going to see me as a politician. I win. He never ran as a saint. Cal Cunningham, I understand it, was running as somebody a cut above. And it turns out he's not. That could close and for the president could close. This is what I'm going to say. And a lot of people calling up saying I'm being pessimistic. I'm not being pessimistic at all. I think the president's trailing. But I think it's winnable. He's trailing with a pandemic that hit him, that knocked him out for a week, that everyone said, I told you so. In terms of a super spreader, he had an event that knocked out two senators and himself. And for people concerned about the pandemic, they say, well, the president is not being careful. Well, for nine months, he didn't get it. For nine months, the senators didn't get it. He's had these events before, but he also says, look, I got to lead. Why is the president not getting credit for the fact that he does have great doctors? I'll give you that. And a lot of you have great doctors, too. And then you work your way out and you go back. You find out what the criteria is, what the protocol is, and go back to work. That's what the president did yesterday. I can't find a story outside the New York Post that I read today. That salutes the president for saying, look at me, I'm back. Why? Because he's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden stands up, gives a speech, and they say, look at him, he's back. He read the prompter in front of six people and gave a local interview where a lot of times he gives conflicting answers. When we come back, we'll join by Brad Meltzer. He's going to take a look at what's happening with the war in history. Put in perspective what this president's going through, the comeback that he would need, as well as uh, his pushback on the war in history. He's got two kids' books. So maybe if your kid's being indoctrinated with horrible history and horrible social studies, maybe it's time to get Brad's books so they understand how great our founding fathers were. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Brad Meltzer joins us now, best-selling author and host of Lost History on History 2, H2, author of two new books out today, I Am Benjamin Franklin and I Am Anne Frank, for real little kids as they make their way through uh, preschool, kindergarten, and first, second grade. Uh, Brad, congratulations. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. You've been the biggest proponent of our kids' series 
about history, and I owe you a thank you for that. Yeah, you must be horrified when you look at the curriculum in not private schools but public schools and what's happening and the big push to change America's history and apologize for it. Um, you know, listen, uh, everyone says, oh, I hate when history is rewritten. History is always rewritten. Um, but what I don't like is when you put your feelings in there. There are groups that have been marginalized that we need to hear from. But you don't have to also be embarrassed of democracy. Um, you know, the reason I write a book, people are like, why you write these kids' books? I'm like, I want our kids to know the heroes of the founders. I wrote I Am George Washington for that reason. I Am Abraham Lincoln, obviously, a later day I wrote. You know, the new book is literally I Am Benjamin Franklin. I can't be any clearer that our kids need to embrace these amazing messages that our founders had for us. And the only way we can do that is we've got to tell their stories to our kids. The uh, 1619 Project won Pulitzer Prizes and wants to rewrite our history, get rid of July 4th and get rid of 1776 and think 1619 when the first slave ship came here. It goes on to say that we actually fought the Revolutionary War to keep slavery. Not true. That is not our founding. That was not even the case. 1619 is not even accurate. But with it came a handbook for school curriculums across the country. This was a double-edged, two-tier plan from the New York Times. Yeah, I saw, you know, and the, and the amazing part was, is that I'm sure you saw the same thing I did. The New York Times had one of its own writers say, you know, we, we messed up here. Brett Stevens. Um, we can't be we can't be recreating July 4th. That was a giant error. Um, that is the founding of the country. And um, and that's what, you know, this, you know, the op ed, I, I got full credit to them for realizing maybe we took this one a step too far. But it was fascinating to watch historians, um, you know, McPherson, one of the great historians out there quickly came in and said, you know, you need context. You can't just tell one sided story. It goes both ways, conservative and, and and the liberal side. You can't just tell your side and not give the context of what else is happening. In the same way, you know, you have people who yell at me say, Oh, how can you say Ben Franklin, he owned slaves? He did. You're right. He also spent the last years of his life realizing, you know what, we gotta do better and became the president of an organization to abolish slavery. So is Ben Franklin good? Is he bad? Or is he like the rest of us? He's complicated. We all are. And, and our history is complicated. That's not a bad thing. That's the beautiful part of it is that we get to now show people that full, rich texture and, and make people realize you don't just whitewash it. You don't just you know take away what you don't like, but you've you got to give it context. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin, wood-burning stove, fire department, uh, not bad. Uh, he has uh, his inventions of electricity, post office, are genius, but, and he's nothing if not diverse and a deep thinker and got helped France, uh, convince France to get into the war that really formed our country. Besides that, not much on the resume. What about Anne Frank? Yeah, and, and let's also, by the way, just so before we leave Ben Franklin, rewrote, rewrote Thomas Jefferson in as he drafted the Declaration of Independence, you know, Thomas Jefferson famously wrote when he was writing that first draft of the Declaration, we hold these truths um, to be uh, undeniable. Instead of being undeniable, he said, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. And Ben Franklin said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's Ben Franklin's edit. Um, and Frank, though, listen, look at the world right now. Uh, Anti-Semitism is at a 40-year high. We have Kids out there, millennials, they said a study last week, barely know about the Holocaust. Basic facts. Our kids need hope right now. And the best way to teach that is with Anne Frank, the little girl who hid from the Nazis in an attic for two years, but still believed that people were good at heart. And I want my kids to know 
that even the darkest places, you can still find light. That's what hope is. It burns within you. And when you turn it on, nothing turns it off. So I am Anne Frank and I am Benjamin Franklin are there to give those messages of hope and resilience and creativity at a time when our kids need it more than ever. Right. And where do we get these books? You can find them on Amazon. You can find them in any bookstore. Um, and, and for me, what I love is, you know, in all the stuff of the pandemic, I didn't even tell you this. Two of our books started selling more than any others. I am Martin Luther King Jr. I am George Washington. I am Abraham Lincoln. Right now, the culture is taking our I Am series and realizing we need heroes. Our kids are anxious, and they need to be uh, taught how to fight back. They need to show what real leaders right. look like. And I love that they're finding George Washington. And, and I get Abraham a lot of Lincoln. questions, Brad, that people say, what, do I, what books do I get for my kids and my little kids, uh, too? So for a 5-year-old, it would be perfect. Lastly, ugly yeah, news five, last yeah, night. Yeah, 5 to 12 years old is Yeah, perfect, ugly right. news last night. They took down the statues of Abraham Lincoln. They took it down in uh, Frederick Douglass, my goodness, in Rochester a couple of months ago. And then they ripped down Teddy Roosevelt. Are you horrified by this? Listen, uh, my last two books were about Abraham Lincoln, and we just did on the kids' side a book about Teddy Roosevelt. Like, you don't tear down Lincoln. You don't tear down Roosevelt. I can't be any clearer. Um, and there's no excuse for violence, right? I mean, that's why we need Anne Frank. That's why I wrote the book is to show people this is where violence gets us. This is That, that doesn't get you anything you want. And I, I despise the fact. I mean, you know, I, I will say it. I'm blue in the face. Abraham Lincoln is the greatest president we've had. No question. I love George Washington. I wrote a book about him too, but Abraham Lincoln right. just is always the soft Brad, spot for me. You can He's follow him at Brad Melter. Brad Melter, congratulations on Benjamin Franklin and I am Anne Frank. Andrew McCarthy next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Justice Ginsburg, um, with her characteristic pithiness, used this this to describe um, how a nominee should comport herself at a hearing. No hints, no previews, no forecasts. Um, that had been the practice of nominees before her, but everybody calls it the Ginsburg rule because she stated it so concisely, and it's been the practice of every nominee since. But it has not stopped every Democrat from trying to, to weigh in on Roe v. Wade and what she will do in Obamacare comes her way if she's on the Supreme Court in about uh, a week after she gets the, her, fitted for her robe. Andrew McCarthy joins us now, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, author of Ball of Collusion. We need your expertise on that, too, because the Russia Gate stuff is heating up again. The plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andrew, first off, once you got over uh, the the disappointment of not being named Supreme Court Justice. Did you fully get behind Amy Coney uh, Barrett's nomination? Who, who who told you I got over it? You're right. I jumped to conclusions. <laughs> I thought you were a bigger man. I did not know you'd be so petty. I, I, I'm a small kind of guy. You know that. <laughs> um, I, I think, look, she is uh, about as... Uh, fabulous a nominee as you could uh, imagine. And I think, Brian, you know, you played that clip about um, about the Ginsburg rule. Yes. And, uh, you know, we could talk all day about the hypocrisy of, you know, because both sides do it. I mean, when yep. when uh, Ginsburg and, and Kagan were being confirmed, people like Senator Feinstein were defending their 
you know, not answering questions. And of course now, you know, that's a, she's acting like she's exasperated and somewhat frustrated by it. But, but I, I think if you put that aside, this has actually been a really interesting hearing. Um, she's not, you know, she's, she won't answer the questions she shouldn't answer, but she's been much willing, much more willing to engage uh, than a lot of nominees, and she's such a natural. I mean, you could tell the the, the dean from Notre Dame yesterday mentioning that um, you know she was uh, like the most popular law professor at the school, and you could see why she's a a very good teacher. I mean, she's just uh, she's so at ease talking about the law, and she doesn't mind uh, answering a lot of these questions. And I think the the questions have given us a lot of insight into the way she thinks. Yeah, she's composed. You know, sometimes you're nervous and people, you're uh, saying something you agree with and you'll see the nod. They'll start nodding. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I can't wait to talk. It doesn't move. You know, it doesn't sit there. It's not depressed. She sit there just zoned in. Just reminds me of a quarterback. Don't get too up. Don't get too down. This going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to, I'm going to wait it out. And the question is what happens? I'm going to assume that they do their half hours today and the next day and nothing big happens. What I've been educated on and reminded of that the thing when things went off the rails with Justice Thomas, it was after these events. With Kavanaugh, it was after the Q&A. Yeah. It was somewhere in between things popped up. Are you, is your antenna up for that too? Yeah, it is. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because the one thing I've said to people is she's such a stellar nominee that you can get a false sense of confidence, but what people need to be mindful about throughout this whole process is, number one, um, the Democrats have made this not about her, but about the process, and there's no attack on the process that's off the table. And secondly, exactly what you just said, which is if you go to sleep on them, uh, the thing with Kavanaugh happened by a question that uh, Feinstein threw out at the very, very end after it seemed like he did fine, that he sailed through his uh, through his testimony and uh, they didn't lay a glove on him. And then the next thing, we were off to the races for weeks. So I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think the Democrats know that if they try to do to uh, Barrett what they – something along the lines of what they did to Kavanaugh, that um, this close to a presidential election, it could cause Biden to lose the election. Uh, so I don't think they're going to do that. And I think you can see a lot of this questioning. They've resigned themselves to the idea that she's going to be confirmed and she'll be on the court. In fact, Durbin started his questioning by saying, you know, I want you to understand the pain uh, of all these people who are worrying about their continuing coverage. And I, I, I observed uh, while we were going back and forth on stuff on Twitter that there'd be no point in him doing that unless he sees her getting confirmed and being on the court when they hear the Obamacare case. But um, I wouldn't go to sleep on him. Absolutely not. I want to pivot to your other area where you wrote Ball of Collusion about what was going on behind the scenes in the so-called Russiagate or investigating the investigators. Uh, We know, too, that the president says, I want everything declassified. I'm tired of waiting. We know that Andy McCabe decided not to show up last Wednesday, pretended as if his welfare was at stake when we know he could have done it from Skype. So... Now they're trying to release all of his text messages, Andy McCabe's text messages. What have we learned from the Comey and Yates appearances? 
Um, well, I, you know, I didn't think we learned much from the Yates appearance, and I didn't think really we would because she had already both testified extensively and given the long FBI interview. So if you read that stuff, there's nothing she said that was um, newer or that interesting. Uh, with Comey, I thought, you know, w what's not said is the most interesting thing, which is that, you know, it seems implausible that you could have the most important case in the history of the FBI and have him signing off on FISA warrants and being briefed on it and briefing the president about it, yet knowing so little of the detail about it. If, as an investigator, uh, that would certainly uh, get my uh, antennas up. But I, I think the most interesting and important thing, Brian, has been the disclosures that have been made by uh, National Intelligence Director Ratcliffe, which show so clearly that Hillary Clinton drove the collusion narrative that the D Democrats went from when Ratcliffe first made his disclosure saying, oh, he's a incompetent, he's an idiot, he's being duped by Russian disinformation, to the point where after he put out the underlying documents like Brennan's notes and the, and the CIA memo to the FBI, now their position is, well, of course Mrs. Clinton was very concerned about Trump and Russia. So, you know, they're now at the point where they can't even deny that she did it. They're, they have to say she did it, but, you know, she had good faith reasons for being concerned. So I think it's um, we're, we're seeing a lot with the stuff that's being declassified. A couple of things. I read Peter Strzok's book just to get his perspective. Do you know that they were caught by surprise that the Russians would use social media to manipulate our elections? Listen, I'm not in the FBI. I was surprised. I was surprised that they were surprised. Talk about not being ahead of the game. They were totally surprised that they were in the game in that way. Number two, the according to declassified spreadsheet, it shows the FBI relied heavily on media reporting to back up its Russia scandal claims. Wait a second. So in some cases, they're planting the story that gets in the media, and then they use that to tell their story and further their investigation, right? Yeah, I, I'd say two things about that. Uh, on the media reporting, what I was always stunned by was that it was not only in the FISA. This isn't just the corroboration that they that they really don't get, right? In the FISA warrants themselves, they rely on media reporting. And maybe you excuse them the first time around because their investigation isn't mature. But, you know, they did. They went back to the court for like 11 months. They went back three more times. And every time they went back, they it was cut and paste. They just had the same media reporting in there. So they never uh, did their own investigation of that stuff, which is which is horrifying. And the other thing, Brian, about your more general point on on our intelligence, you know, we 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 got fooled by the Berlin Wall falling. In uh, was it 2004 or 2007? I'm, I, I can't remember now, but the, the CIA and the intelligence community came out with an appraisal that Iran really wasn't trying to get a nuclear weapon. You know, there's been time and time again that this 50 to 60 million or I'm sorry, billion uh, dollar a year uh, uh, edifice that we have, this intelligence community, um, you know, we spend a lot of money on it and it does come up with some interesting information, but we get taken in a lot for, you know, given the amount of uh, money and energy we're supposedly putting into our intelligence product. Well, I think it's pretty amazing uh, that this is taking place and Andy McCabe might get away with it. But keep in mind, too, Andy McCabe got caught leaking to the press. 
And remember, he said, Cuomo, uh, uh, excuse me, Comey gave me permission to do it. And he said, I didn't give him permission to do it. So he's using his own leaks to the press to push pressure on candidate President-elect Trump at the same time using it to get FISA warrants. And they're mad at Trump? Yeah, I was uh, the one thing I've been really surprised about. uh, And I think this does go to show that uh, Barr, for all the criticism of him of supposedly politicizing the Justice Department, he's been very careful not to bring cases that could be perceived as political. I really thought the false statements case on uh, McCabe, as it was laid out by Inspector General Horowitz, was bulletproof, you know, where he comes up with the four different instances of where. Uh, he misled FBI agents. A number of those times were under oath. And I was quite surprised that the Justice Department decided not to bring that case. Now, I guess we'll ultimately see what Durham comes up with. But um, I, I think this Justice Department's pretty committed to um, erring on the side of not looking political. Incredible. And lastly, uh, what do you think is going to be found in Andy McCabe's text messages if, if they get him? Eh, you know, look, I wouldn't want people looking at my text messages, so it'll probably be um, well, stuff for the investigation. But, do you think that if he's interacting yeah, I, with Strzok, it's there? Do you think if he's interacting with Comey, yeah, it's there? Yeah, I think you know. Look, our experience from looking at the Strzok page text messages is that they're kind of like the um, the spine or the backbone or, or the the thing that holds the story together. You know, you can day after day after day, they're talking back and forth. And imagine if, unlike us, you actually had unredacted access to everything that was said. So I think with his text messages, it looks like these guys were cavalier enough about their text practices that you'll probably be able to put together everything the FBI was doing, not just on this case, but on a lot of other things, too. Wow. So we'll see where this goes. President's frustrated. The Durham report's not going to be out before. Are you surprised? Not at this point. I think, you know, we've talked about this. I always thought that if they didn't get it out by the end of May or the, at least the end of spring, uh, that it was going to be very difficult because the closer it gets to the election, the more you can uh, degrade it as like a, a campaign stunt. And I know, I know they don't want to be seen that way. And as far as Durham's concerned, I, I think he just got unlucky. You know, when when um, COVID hit in February, March, it shut down grand juries and you couldn't travel to see witnesses for a long time. And there's a lot of things that you can do on Skype and on Zoom and all that stuff, but one of them is not uh, a prosecutor interviewing witnesses. you got to get a ro- in a room with them and look them in the eye and show them documents and all that stuff. You, you, so I, I think, you know, unfortunately, they really got held up for a number of weeks by what happened here, and it slowed them down. I don't know if that's the reason why – They couldn't get finished. But, you know, there was a long time where Barr was saying, I think he's getting close to the end. And then all of a sudden the thing sort of was suspended. And also I heard that he was finding other leads. It wasn't getting simpler. It was getting complicated. He was he was he was following the trail. Is that what you heard? That does happen. That does happen. Yeah. Uh, Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Uh, we'll come back. Take your calls. one 408 7669 We're also following the latest with uh, with Amy Coney Barrett, our confirmation hearing right now. Senator Mike Lee is talking to her. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Most of us have multiple notes. 
Good, good morning, Your Honor. Good morning, Senator Cornyn. You know, most of us have multiple notebooks and notes and books and things like that in front of us. Can you hold up what you've been referring to and answering our questions? Is there anything on it? Uh, that letterhead that says United States Senate. That's, imp that's impressive. Is that unusual? I don't even remember. Is that unusual, Allison, to not have any notes? That was John Cornyn pointing out that Amy Coney Barrett is not any notes today. I don't know if it's unusual. I don't remember back either. However, it's wildly impressive that she's, you know, talking about all these cases in detail just based on her memory. Yeah. I mean, one thing about it, no one's going to say, ooh, she was so nervous. There's not a person on the planet will say that. Uh, so we saw Senator Leahy just just meander. I don't know what. He couldn't get a clear question out. Plus, he's not even there. It's uh, hard. It was hard to hear. Feinstein was pretty good. Mm -hmm. but immediately went strong. I think she felt like she had to prove herself because a lot of people thought she was not up for this ranking member. Yeah, she asked her what, like four times about Roe v. Wade, which was a little repetitive. Durbin was also really good, too. He actually not good, but, I, you know, he wasn't mean. that hostile. Correct. Um, he asked her what she thought of the George Floyd video, which was a um, I thought a revealing response. Have you seen the George Floyd video? I have. What impact did it have on you? Um, Senator, as you might imagine, given that I have two black children, that was very, very personal for my family. Um, Jesse was with the boys on a camping trip out in South Dakota, so I was there, and my 17-year-old daughter, Vivian, who's adopted from Haiti, um, all of this was erupting. It was very difficult for her. Um, we wept together in my room, and then it was also difficult for my daughter, Juliet, who's 10. I had to try to explain some of this to them. I mean, my children to this point in their lives have had the benefit of growing up in a cocoon where they have not yet experienced hatred or violence. Um, and for Vivian, you know, to understand that there would be a risk to her brother or the son she might have one day of that kind of brutality has been an ongoing conversation. It's a difficult one for us, like it is for Americans all over the country. Very interesting, because I'm sure Dick Durbin, of all people who gave her that, and I don't mean to be cynical, but the Democrats aren't usually into allowing somebody to look good by having a human response by something that is unique to them. I so, totally It was a question you would have expected from a Republican senator. So he, she was able to give that response. Who knows what kind of response she would have given, but you kind of assume he did. But she's also assuming a little bit of bias in the police force when she said a son that she may have or her brother might experience. That's a little assumptive that might—I'm not saying not so, no Republicans are not going to vote for her, but that's a little assumptive to where some believe there's really not bias among law enforcement. I wouldn't say that's— Towards legally, right, bias towards the law. I think it's just a reality that she needs to, you know, talk to her son about one day her daughter's possible future son, right? I mean, you just need it's it's right a bit of you know just you need to be aware of your environment. I think it was a an honest moment. Absolutely. So far, she looks uh, uh, pretty strong. Uh, keep in mind too, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think the president's going to be talking about this today, but I wish that he would also just keep in mind talk to Lindsey Graham. Say, Mr. President, don't tweet this out. Don't tweet that out. Don't tweet this out. We don't need you tweeting out that he's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We don't need you tweeting out that it's going to uh, undo the uh, 
Obamacare. Just leave that and stay out of it. This is a great moment for the president. He picked a great candidate that seems to be shining. Just talk about her in glowing terms because Democrats are leaning on his tweets and using it against her. And even though people love his tweets, they don't always work. Uh, but I do think, listen to this, for people who think I'm not optimistic, I, I feel like they're in the same place. He's in the same place he was in 2016. He just has to be strong, be error-free, and outwork everybody. Final stretch, 21 days. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.